0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast.
2: <laughs> this, this, this is the deal. One. You're getting back in transition. You don't have Giannis find a man and be a guard. Two, look at me. You've set a high level for yourself. That's why you're down. That's great. Now go reach that level. Okay? And you can reach it with force. It doesn't have to be stats all the time. Go dominate the game with force. Okay? Because you set a high level for yourself. Go dominate the game with force.
1: The Phoenix Suns won again and now are up 2-0 in the NBA Finals. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? 2-0, baby. A resilient-as-hell victory from our Phoenix Suns. I'm feeling great. I think it was a remarkable game for a lot of reasons. Uh, some, I, I don't know if we can call them unexpected stars. It's something that we talked about, I guess, before the game a little bit. Uh, these role players potentially stepping up in this game. Uh, but I think a, a big part of it was also just Devin Booker just sort of doing the Devin Booker thing, es- especially any time that the Bucks chipped away at the Suns' lead. It was like that's when Devin Booker played well, especially after he started the game uh, kind of rough, I'd say. Seven for 12 from deep, Mike. Is that doing the Devin Booker thing? Because <laughs>
3: that, is, that is welcome news to here. I'm in his game log right now. Let me see. That is only the... Third time in the playoffs that we've gotten uh, Devin Booker shooting above 50% from deep in a Mm -hmm. game. He was hitting difficult shots all night long. Really set the tone for the Suns, obviously, and uh, contrasted a little bit, not to get to the bad news here. I wouldn't even call this bad news. Chris Paul, I think, played a really strong three quarters and then had kind of an uncharacteristically tough fourth quarter. He had six turnovers tonight, which which is unusual for Chris Paul. So Booker really had to be that guy down the stretch. Um, and, and he was when the Suns needed him to be.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I mean when I say the Devin Booker thing. The, the shots where they just kind of rip your heart out, that's his thing. And you know what, Devin, or I should say Chris Paul does it as well. <laughs> it's nice that the Suns have two guys that are capable of doing that. Um, but I, I, I think we should st- start at the beginning, what this game sort of looked like uh, for the Suns. Uh, the Bucks really, something we talked about a lot is how were the Bucs going to defend the Suns and I think that was a bigger storyline from our perspective like from the Suns perspective uh, it was a bigger storyline I think than how were the Bucks going to attack the Suns which it turns out was just Giannis barreling into the paint over and over and over again which by the way is a good strategy when you have Giannis on your team I think that's the right way to do it Uh, but they didn't really switch to start this game They, they played sort of a modified drop but they were helping off the corners a lot to start the game and that resulted in the Suns hitting eight threes in the first quarter which i imagine is close to the most they've made in a single quarter in this playoffs uh not necessarily I imagine, yeah yeah not necessarily the regular season i think they've had a few pretty big quarters like that uh, but the bucks seemed to be okay with allowing the suns to shoot those shots early in the game and the suns capitalized on it even though the bucks had the lead after one uh i was pretty confident when i saw that happening how'd you feel you know what i actually wasn't after the first
3: quarter i thought it was a pretty strong gamble by the bucks and and definitely you know we talk all this stuff about adjustments they came out they had those adjustments like you said playing that modified drop not um uh, increased help uh, trying to take away the mid-range, allowing those shooters to get to their spots. Plus, really strong ball pressure. I thought Drew Holiday came out in the first quarter and had a hell of a first quarter. He didn't have a good game uh, exactly. He shot 7 for 21. Um, but he came yeah. out, and we were talking in our pregame spaces about how he was going to press Chris Paul the entire court. Maybe those two things are related. Maybe he yeah. ran out of gas because of the extra energy he exerted on defense. But I was pretty impressed with what the Bucks were doing in the first quarter. And... You know, in general, they didn't allow the Suns to get into the paint in the first. Uh, there was, I remember at one point, uh, a graphic came up on screen that said the Bucks had like 20 points in the paint to the Suns, zero. Um, they neutralized DeAndre Ayton effectively. But what I love so much about the Suns team as the game went on is that again and again, they prove uh, just how incredibly balanced they are. When a team tries to take something away from the Suns, in the case of tonight, the Bucs were taking away that mid-range area. They were stopping Chris Paul and Devin Booker early in the game, and they needed other role players to step up. They were also helping on the role to take away um, Aiton, to be honest, kind of shot himself in the foot on some possessions, but also the Bucs were, were playing him well on the role. Um, but when they take something away, other players step up, just, you know, Just like a counterweight, like they, like they need to um, automatically. And... In this case, Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges, hitting shots, able to swing the balance back, the momentum back in favor of the Suns to the point where the Bucks couldn't just help off those shooters anymore. They had to start paying more attention to them in the second half, and that opened the game up. Uh, for the Suns' star players, it was it was just beautiful basketball. And, um, yeah, just really – I, I don't know what to say anymore, Mike. Like, this is such a balanced roster. We've been talking about it all yep. year. Yep. But for Mikael Bridges, who – let's be honest, has not had all that great of a playoffs. Yeah. To step up and have 27.7 rebounds and assists on 8 of 15 shooting tonight when you need him to, a yeah. guy who traditionally doesn't get to the free throw line all that much but attacked several closeouts tonight, created offense for himself and others, hit 8 free throws, got to the line 8 times, hit all 8 of his free throws. What a performance for Mikael Bridges. Uh, and And just in general, what a performance from the Wings. To be able to step up precisely when the Suns needed
1: them to, I'm going to call you out a little bit. <laughs> On our last episode, you questioned me saying Mikel was the fourth, was best, fourth player. <laughs> best player. Yeah, well, in, re- I in mean, reality, it's Jay Crowder it's, also it's between... had a good game. Jay Crowder also had a good game. Yeah, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. Jay Crowder catches and shoots. Mikhail attacks, and the ability to attack. Is what ma- brings a different dynamic to the to the Suns' offense. It's if you can if you can close out on Jay Crowder, he's still going to shoot, and and those are going to be tougher shots for him. If you close out on Mikel, he'll use your momentum against you, and that's different. And for Mikel, it's commonly we we debated throughout the season whether or not he was the third best player on the Suns. I think uh, DeAndre and at times has been the best player on the Suns this postseason at a lot of times I would say so I think it's fair to say that he's solidified in that top three uh, for the Suns but McHale is is right there and I think this was a game where he proved it where he not only uh, played really really great offensively he also uh, played an excellent another excellent defensive game against Chris Middleton and the rest of the Bucks roster with the Suns switching around the only time he had trouble was when the Suns were or I'm sorry, the Bucks were screening off the ball to force Mikel to guard Giannis, and that's when Giannis went off a little bit in the third quarter. And I think the Suns adjusted well to that later on. They essentially just put uh, Jay Crowder on him. Jay Crowder can fight through screens a lot better than DeAndre Ayton can. DeAndre Ayton was struggling fighting through screens, even fouled Chris Middleton on one of those screens. And that's where they uh, struggled to keep somebody bigger and stronger on Giannis. And good adjustment by Monty, by the way. I know sometimes people get on him. Uh, for mid-game adjustments that was a perfect example of one and i thought jay did you a know, really good job on him after that uh, what you but, should
3: be what you, wait, wait what you should be calling me out for can i just say sure what you what you should be calling me out for is that i had previously compared mikhail bridges to chris middleton in Ryan. saying that's what he's gonna be in five years well, hey, well if, do- i
1: mean
3: <laughs> he dominated that matchup today. yeah Chris Middleton, five for sixteen from the field, eleven points in forty-one minutes.
1: He's the he's the second option on his team compared to Mikhail being
2: the I
3: fourth. Know. No, I know. <laughs> Just I know. I'm it's not saying he's a better sir, player. Yeah, you're I'm right. Not you're saying, right. <laughs> I'm not saying Mikhail's a better player. Not at all. But for tonight, let's give him his flowers. I mean, you're that right. was that was as uh, dominant a performance within the context of that matchup as it gets for a role player like Mikhail Bridges, and he makes four million dollars. Chris Middleton makes 33. Now, Bridges won't be making $4 million a year anymore for very long. <laughs> we know that. And, in fact, I'm sure his agent was very pleased with his performance tonight and immediately forwarded it to uh, to Robert Sarver and James Jones. But, yeah, I mean, just a critical performance when we needed it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think he was incredible. But I think we need to just – I just want to cover the context of everything that happened tonight because I think – that Ayton was getting, I think, some unnecessary hate early on in this game because he struggled a little bit offensively. I think he was 2-for-6 at one time. Ended I the game 4-for-10, yeah. uh, 40%. I, I, I would venture to guess, I haven't looked it up, that this was his uh, least efficient game that he's played so far in these playoffs. But if you're going to give Mikael Bridges credit or a Jay Crowder credit or Cameron Johnson credit for what they were able to do on the perimeter – you need to acknowledge that the reason that they were able to do that is because of the attention that DeAndre Ayton guard, or, uh, draws. With DeAndre Ayton rolling to the rim tonight, what the Bucks essentially did is they helped off the corners hard, hard. So if he was catching the ball in the paint at all, which he almost wasn't because it w- they made it so difficult for him to do that, he was surrounded by two players. The only other times they were allowing the ball get to him is if they were trapping, which they did, on Cameron Payne a few times, and that was him catching it like 18, 19 feet away from the basket, which, as we know, sometimes he does well, sometimes he struggles to to score. I think usually he makes good passes out of that position. Uh, scoring is not really his forte from, from that position. But like we need to just sort of acknowledge that when he had good games against the Denver Nuggets, we went on this podcast and we explained exactly what the Denver Nuggets were doing defensively that allowed him to play well. If he struggles hmm. a little bit offensively, it's our responsibility, I think, to explain why. It's because I, they were doubling yeah, him, essentially, off well, the ball. They were forcing him to, to struggle a little bit, and that's why other guys were able to go off.
3: I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. Um, in no way am I mad at DeAndre Ayton for his performance tonight. Like like I just said, Mikhail has had all sorts of bad offensive performances tonight, and I haven't like routinely gotten on his case. So by the same logic, I'm not going to do it about Ayton. But I think that explanation is a little flowery. I think his hands were just bad tonight and and i think he should be excused for a bad game but there were a couple possessions in the first half he caught the ball he was right there under the rim should have just been able to sort of power through lopez and and look it's deandre Ayton. we know he's kind of a finesse finisher at the end of the day i thought it was by far the the worst uh demonstration of his hands in the playoffs. But I'll cut him some slack because it was one game, and I'm sure he'll bounce back and be better next game. I do agree with you that they were sending more help. Like There's a symbiotic relationship between yeah. those two things that allows Aiton to, to maybe have a bad game and Bridges to have a good one. Um, but I also was straight up getting frustrated with him I, in the first half.
1: And like, I, I don't disagree with that, and I think the Bucks sort of showed everyone again that put, putting a smaller defender on DeAndre Ayton is not... You know, it's not guaranteed that he's going to dominate them, especially if it's someone like uh, Drew Holiday. He almost prefers a bigger body to bang up against, and uh, I think the the Clippers were not afraid of putting someone smaller smaller on him. And I think with the help in this game, the Bucks showed that they were willing to put smaller guys between him and the basket and force him to make decisions from that position. And I think he's you're right. He struggled, and I think he was. Um not great in the first three quarters, but I want to give him a shout out for what he did in the fourth quarter and I want to mm-hmm. compare it to something that happened in the regular season. Uh the there was oh, a sequence. Oh, I think I know I know the game you're talking about. There was a Are you talking in this about one game. specific game? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. No, you're fine. There was a sequence in this game where uh I believe Chris Paul tried to shoot a shot, missed it. DeAndre Ayton got the rebound, passed it out to uh Devin Booker. Devin Booker missed a three. DeAndre Ayton got the offensive rebound again kicked it out to I think Mikhail Bridges or Chris Paul again in the corner and then they hit a three immediately on the other end of the floor the Bucks ran it down got to the rim and Aiden blocks it at the rim and the kind of intensity that he was bringing on those back-to-back plays the ability to sort of dominate his matchup whether it be big or small uh, getting the offensive rebound guarding the rim running down the floor to ensure he was able to defend at the rim is something that is the important things for him to do. His hands obviously can come and go sometimes and I think they've been excellent throughout the playoffs. That intensity is what's needed for the Suns more than anything else and he brought it in the fourth quarter. There's there's a game that happened in the regular season. It was a Chicago Bulls. Is this the one that you were thinking of as well? Yes. Okay, it was the yes. Chicago Bulls game. Yes. 3 quarters it's through It's not g- about the stats. Yeah. Yes. 3 quarters into the game, I was just despondent. I was furious at the way that Deandre was playing and uh, incredibly frustrated because it felt like if he just had a little bit more effort throughout that game, uh, the Suns would have been easily ahead of the game, and then he came in in the fourth quarter, and he just dominated. He absolutely dominated in the ways that big men can dominate in the NBA in today's game, and to watch him do that in that game and then it happened a few other times but that Chicago Bulls game always sticks out in my mind and you can find it if you'd like go look at the stats they're not going to blow you away they're really not it's just what you think did he in had like quarter I think he had like 10 and 10 in that game too it was not that impressive if he can come onto the floor and be the best player on the floor for five minutes at a time in one maybe two stretches of a game it makes such a massive difference mm-hmm. in the game and the fact that he did that in the Bulls game, and then a few more times after that where maybe he wasn't great through three quarters, but that fourth quarter he came in with the right amount of focus, gave me a lot of confidence in what he could do going forward, and I needed it because it, there were times early on in the season where I think he, his focus was not there. And the fact that he did it again tonight, he came into the finals in the fourth quarter with the right level of focus that wasn't quite there through the first three quarters I think was huge.
3: How about this? I made this point on Twitter this morning, but then it became relevant again tonight. Through the first three seasons of DeAndre Ayton's career, you know how many times... he Did you see this tweet, first of all? I didn't, like, no. Okay, how many times... Then I'm going to play a guessing game with you. How many times okay. do you think he logged over 40 minutes in his first three regular oh. seasons combined?
1: So there must have been a few overtime games in there where it just sort of happened. So I'm going to say four. Three. Okay. In his first three regular season regular seasons
3: combined, DeAndre had three games where he played over forty minutes. How many times has he done it in this playoffs <laughs> run?
1: Uh, uh man. Ten?
3: No no. But <laughs> th- th- it's it's a decent guess because we do really need him. But tonight was the fifth. Okay. Tonight was the fifth. I mean, that's and more than yeah. He had forty-two minutes tonight. Mm-hmm. In the regular season, he averaged thirty minutes per game. Going into tonight, he was averaging thirty-six in the playoffs. Yeah. He played forty-two tonight without Sharich, and then of course Torrey yep. Craig went down. We have to talk about that. Yeah, but that's that sucks. It objectively sucks. But he played forty-two minutes tonight, so his playoffs average is probably around thirty-seven now. The conditioning has been on point for DeAndre, Ayton. and and for him to go in and impact the fourth quarter of this game, a clutch. Performance the way he did when he's not used to playing 40, 41, 42 minutes and to still only finish the game with four fouls, with the way the, the officials were officiating this game, with the touch <laughs> fouls they were calling for Giannis in the second half. That's another thing we can touch on is uh, no one's really talking about the free throw disparity tonight, huh? But um like how many times this is this is a dead horse i'm about to beat 42 minutes only four fouls for deandre Ayton. how many times uh over would jaron jackson jr have fouled out in a game like this <laughs> how many bigs are there even in the league who can do this there really aren't that many not when not when they're the primary defensive assignment on Giannis.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire.
1: You need indeed. Early on in the season, maybe halfway through the season, I basically asked you um, if you thought there there was a possibility that in the playoffs there was no really down games for DeAndre Ayton uh, because he kind of always got up for big games. And uh, the idea was that he would be more focused going into every game because of the understanding of how big each game is. Um, He's proven that. And I think we've covered it time and time again. We've said it. If he sleepwalks once every five games in the regular season but comes into every playoff game completely focused, who cares at that point? Who cares? Uh, playing a long NBA season is hard. And and I think even his sleepwalking is going to get better and better and better because people thought he could just come into the league and, and average 20 and 10 in his sleep, yeah. as they said. And that was never really true. It's hard to, to be in the NBA and you have to bring your focus every single game. I want to say it just gets better and better and better. I want to say, I think, I
3: want to congratulate, actually, our community, at least the people I've been following on Suns Twitter, I think have been very disciplined in not not doing what I consider lazy analysis, which is taking this amazing run from DeAndre Ayton and immediately running to, to the ranking boards, the white board, and say, okay, where does he <laughs> rank among these centers? Like, he's better than this guy or this guy or this guy. I think oftentimes it doesn't matter. So I'm not really interested in having that conversation. However, what I will say is... In general, what we can take away from this amazing run from Ayton is it's really made me reevaluate the, the types of things that I actually think are important for a big and the types of things that translate to playoff basketball. And he's just nailed every single possible point there when you look at the checklist for what you want a big to be able to do. You see all sorts of people on Twitter right now. Advocating fans of any team around the league, advocating for their random seven foot young big to be, oh, he just needs to. No, but seriously, he just is needs he to DeAndre nail the small Aiden, stuff. Yeah, you reminds he, me of
1: DeAndre. Ayton. Yeah,
3: is this guy the next DeAndre Ayton? Is Wendell <laughs> Carter the next DeAndre Ayton? Is uh, Mitch Robinson the next DeAndre? Ayton? Moby, and it's like yeah. all of them are kind of weak facsimiles of DeAndre Ayton in various Wiseman. ways. Maybe. Th- yeah. Wiseman is James Wiseman the next DeAndre Ayton? It's very hard to be DeAndre Ayton. It's very hard to be both that strong and that nimble. That's why he went number one overall. That's literally the whole reason behind it. Not to mention the touch, too. Like, there are a lot of bigs around the league who have very bright futures and can maybe, you know, you look at Ayton's four or five biggest strengths, maybe they have two or three of those things. But putting together the entire package, the way Aiton is doing yep. in this playoffs, like, he's doing everything. He's doing everything. And so, again, you know, I, I'll excuse a... a bad performance in the first half tonight offensively where his hands sucked like I'm I'm willing to just put my hands up and say look his hands sucked but I'm willing to excuse that he dominated the second half and the way he's bounced back also in games throughout the regular season um, he's going to continue to be motivated throughout the series no doubt in my mind
1: something else I wanted to point out uh, since we're on the topic of eight and then we can move on a little bit was there was a moment in the game where they showed a wired segment where it was clear that DeAndre was a little bit down. Actually, in fact, I'm going to put it at the beginning of this episode so people will hear it if I can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, where It was clear that DeAndre was down on himself for how he was playing at that point, maybe a little flustered by the way they were defending him. And to see that moment, to see Monty Williams coaching DeAndre in, in that moment, was incredible because I think he was getting right to the heart of DeAndre Ayton and making sure that he looked at him, making sure that he responded to him to, to ensure that he was properly prepared for what he was about to go into. Immediately after that, in fact, while it was playing, DeAndre Ayton disrupted a pass on a pick and roll and got the steal. And the Suns went on uh, to win the game with him playing very, very well in that fourth quarter. I was just so impressed. It was so cool to see a moment like that with Monty Williams coaching DeAndre Ayton Uh, in that moment did you see that and what did you think of course I did of course I did I love I love when they mic up those guys yeah sometimes it's so boring
3: and that was like such a great moment sometimes it is very boring for instance at the beginning of the game when they showed bud in in, (laughs) uh, the pregame locker room and he just said the same exact shit as he said in game one he was like all right go out there play basketball play random (laughs) let's go Uh, obviously didn't work um, I but I love those. That's that's the best part of the broadcast, and it was just a beautiful example of Monty being a master motivator. Yeah, great job, great job by the coach. Yep,
1: uh, great way to great way to put it. Um, Aiton came through in the fourth quarter, played well. Chris Paul mostly good. The six turnovers was uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic in a way where I'm wondering if maybe his hand is a little more hurt than uh, they're letting on, which I can't. I'm only assuming here. I have no way of knowing. Um, because he just doesn't do that. That just never happens, especially in a big game.
3: I think that's a good guess. Uh, to be honest is I, I often say that, you know, we don't really think about what these guys are going through. Like I'm sure Booker's nose is still affecting him. He took another hit to the face tonight, but Chris Paul, especially the fact that he just had an MRI last week. Again, we're speculating here. We're, we're not insiders, but, um, Six turnovers is really strange for Chris Paul. It just doesn't really happen. Yeah, when
1: when people say it's an uncharacteristic game for Chris Paul, my thought is there's no such thing. Uh, He plays the way he plays. I mean, he (laughs) makes
3: shots. or Here's the thing. He makes shots or he misses shots. But his command of the flow of the offense doesn't really deviate from game to game. So that's what's a little bit suspect about
1: it. Yeah, and obviously McHale had his great game. Uh, Devin Booker did the Devin Booker thing, as I said earlier we have to talk about something not great that happened, and that was a Torrey Craig injury. Now, I want to talk about Torrey Craig a little bit because he's incredibly tough, and I've seen him fall in games where I thought, man, that must have hurt. And you know what he does? Gets right back up and immediately plays again. It's very rare to see him look like he's in pain because of how strong and how tough he is. So to see him go down after taking a, uh, a knee to the side of his knee, it looked like, and then also not really planting his foot on that play uh, was concerning, to say the least. Obviously, Dario Saric, Tory's ACL in the last game, a disaster. We haven't talked about that yet on the podcast. It's horrible. It's horrible not just because the Suns are down a player. It's horrible because of the amount of work that he's put in to be there. We don't know the extent of Tori Craig's injury at this point. I hope it's not anything like Dario Saric's. I hope it's more of... Uh, he got knee in the wrong spot on his knee, and it's going to hurt like hell. Maybe he'll be back soon. We don't know. Um, so first, I guess I'll give you a chance to just respond to him being injured, and then we can talk about where the Suns go from there. Well, it sucks. He's one of the greatest competitors
3: that the Suns have. I mean, he's an incredible hustle player. He lays it all out there on the floor every night, uh, not to mention it's a huge loss for the rest of the series. Um, him and Dario, both, It it, it sucks.
1: Unfortunately, Sam had some internet issues in the middle of him talking about Tory Craig there. So uh, I'm going to have to do the end of this one on my own. But I did want to talk about uh, the implications of Tor- the Tory Craig injury and um, what it means for the Suns going forward. So I'm just going to talk a little bit by myself. I apologize for the issues that we had here. Uh, we tried to resolve it for a while. Weren't able to get it done. Tory Craig's being out. Uh... Torrey Craig being out sucks. It just sucks for the Suns in so many ways because when Dario Saric was out, when Dario Saric could no longer play, I think a lot of Suns fans felt confident because Tory Craig was on the team. Now, if he's hurt for an extended period of time, that hurts the Suns in many ways and I think it'll hurt a lot of Suns fans' confidence in what they're able to do or what they're going to be able to do going forward. Uh, without Torrey Craig there are options for the suns the first one i think is obvious it's frank kaminsky can frank kaminsky come in and play those backup minutes without dario Saric? essentially jay crowder is essentially at center in these games but he was able to play center because tory craig was in the game as well so if frank kaminsky comes in and plays that moves everyone up a little bit and allows them to have a more traditional big on the floor Uh, And I think something interesting was happening because Frank Kaminsky did play a few minutes without Torrey Craig on the floor tonight. When Frank Kaminsky was in the game, they were not trusting him to switch. They were not trusting him to drop. They were trapping. They were blitzing. So when Frank was guarding the screener, both defenders just ran up hard on the ball handler, forced the ball handler to pass the ball. And then they trusted the rest of the defenders to rotate around. Uh, basically ensuring that in no way was Frank Kaminsky going to be on the ball for an extended period of time. They were trying to get the ball out and away from Frank, and then other defenders were able to recover on that and help fight. So I think if Frank does play, look for that. They're going to trap on screen and rolls and force the ball out of the ball handler's hands and kind of trust the rest of the defenders to play in those scenarios. Now, if he does play, and they try to play him when DeAndre Ayton's out of the game. That means DeAndre Ayton's going to have to play more minutes because they're not going to be able to do that for a long period of time. It takes a lot of effort, and if the Bucks find a way to beat that, they're going to do it. They're going to do it over and over and over again. They're just going to hammer the Suns with whatever solution they come up with in that scenario. So there's option one: Frank Kaminsky in the game. If Frank Kaminsky does not play, that means they're going to try to survive. With with Nader Abdul Nader playing in these games, if Abdul Nader does play, that allows Jay Crowder to essentially play the backup center minutes without DeAndre and on the floor, and it and it forces the Suns to go a little bit smaller uh, in those minutes. I don't think that that's necessarily a terrible option. It's just not great. None of the options are going to be great without Dario Saric or Torrey Craig. I think it's more likely the Suns go to Abdul Nader early and try that. And if it works, they'll stick with it for the rest of the game as long as players are able to stay out of foul trouble. The toughest part about all of this is with Craig, and it it wasn't just that he allowed the Suns to play small. It wasn't just that the Suns were able to play without a center on the floor. He also was another option they had in guarding Giannis, and he did relatively well. Obviously, the injury is him taking a charge on Giannis. How many players on the Suns? are willing to put themselves in the position where they're going to get hammered by Giannis on a drive. Torrey Craig is one of the only guys. So that's, I think, where it puts the Suns in a really tough position. They can't necessarily go small without Abdul Nader being on the floor if you're using bench minutes at all. Obviously, every single one of the other guys' minutes can go up if he's out for an extended period of time. And then Frank Kaminsky minutes are something that they have to sustain if Frank Kaminsky does end up playing. It's not a great situation for the Suns, and I really hope that he's healthy. Not just necessarily to come back in this series. I just don't want any extended injury on him. It would be great to re-sign him. He is a free agent. I don't want him going into his free agency with a bad injury. Uh, So that's a really unfortunate situation for the Suns. Obviously, everyone's thinking about Torrey Craig tonight. I hope he's okay. But the Suns ultimately do end this game up 2-0 in the NBA Finals, which is a remarkable feat regardless. An incredible game once again for Devin Booker. An incredible game once again for Mikel Bridges. And I think Chris Paul did what he needed to do in order to win this game. And obviously DeAndre Ayton with that fourth quarter where he dominated for a short period of time. We will be back once again after game three. Game three is on Sunday. It's an earlier game, 5 p.m. Arizona time. And I hope that's true because usually Sam is the one to fact check me. Uh, he's not here. Uh, Both of us should be back by Sunday as long as we're able to work out the technical difficulties that plagued us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Suns.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?